Hello and welcome to the No Man's Land podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Hoover. I'm a 17-year-old high school and college student, and I'm happy to be here with my much better-looking co-host, Elmer Fisher, who is my oh. grandfather. And he's had a really fascinating life full of a bunch of riveting experiences from his experience going blind, undiagnosed, where he felt kind of confused and trapped trying to overcome his disability and doing crazy things like ska- uh, skiing in the Paralympics. There just seems to be an endless list of accomplishments and obstacles that this man has overcome and i'm very excited to be a small part in sharing some of those stories with you so uh how are you doing uh papa elmer that sounds pretty good thanks okay so uh if you don't mind just kind of introduce yourself some basic things such as your name your age uh you live in ohio and how long you've been blind for okay my name is elmer fisher it's spelled the name fisher spelled with a c in it which is a German spelling. Mm-hmm. A fisher with a German, F-I-S-C-H-E-R, mean a German fisherman. So my ancestry came from Europe. Um, when I lived in my grandmother's house, she had come from Germany. She told a lot of stories about, a lot of, actually didn't tell a lot of stories. She said when she lived in the United States, she's in America now, she's gonna live like, live like an American. So she didn't hardly ever talk about Germany, uh, which to my, my regret, I would like to have known more, but uh, so many of my relatives on her, on my dad's side of the family were spoke German or had, had an accent, a German accent. How old am I? I'm 86. 86. 86. I was born in 1933. So I'll, in, in August, I'll be 87. Yeah, our birthdays are pretty close, right? Because we both have our, our birthdays in August. Yeah. When is yours? August 24th. You're a little younger than I am, though, I think. Yeah, a little bit. I think you got me by a couple of years. years. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So um, you were born in Cincinnati, and uh, you said you had kind of an interesting family and housing situation when you were growing up. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, it was basically a five-room house with an attic. Mm -hmm. So my mother, my father, my grandmother... We lived on the first floor, uh, and that, that's the only place. And the bed, the bed, bathroom was on the first floor. Mm-hmm. My aunt and uncle lived on the second floor, which was one flight up. They just had a big, very big kitchen, sort of combination kitchen, dining room, and a, and, and a bedroom. And uh, they lived upstairs. And up, 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 what we called the attic was just a big attic, open area, but. Uh, and they had to partition part of it off. So it was like a, a, a separate room. And uh, some of the things I remember about it is the uh, the furnace, which was a coal, an old coal furnace, was directly below the straight pipe down to the furnace. So when they, when they fire up that furnace, the heat would just pour out of the pipe. <clears throat> of course, as the night went on, the fire would burn down. So by the time you woke up in the morning, you could almost see, fro- almost see your breath in the air. It wasn't quite that bad, but it felt like it was. So it was quite, it was a nice place to live. Yeah. <clears throat> we had an outhouse. Most people didn't know that. Was that the only bathroom you had? Was an outhouse? Yeah. Was, so, yeah. So how many people cool. were uh, were living in the house with you? Because it sounds like you had quite a few people. So if there were, there were like five rooms plus an attic in this house, how many people were, were living? Uh, <clears throat> my, my, my mother and father and me. My uncle and my aunt, and their daughter, my cousin, later, and she had a little boy, got married. So that I don't know how many that is. But 
That's a, that's a, that's that's like eight, yeah, I that's like so. eight people, uh, oh, yeah. seven or eight people. Yeah, so it yeah, it, it was was it was it kind of cramped there sometimes living in. Living oh in yeah, we fall over each other a lot, uh, mm-hmm. but it didn't seem to bother. You know, back then, it wasn't unusual anyway. We, we you know, we we didn't consider ourselves to be de- de- to be deprived or anything. It's just the way it was, mm-hmm. and uh, so we. we we made the best of it. Uh, kind of interesting stories about the outhouse that was down the a little bit away from the house. So at night, if you had to go to potty, uh, you either had to walk outside and down the hill, or we had we had portable potties in the room, and uh, you'd go and <laughs> use that potty, and then and then when you woke up in the morning, you had to take it down and dump it out. Yeah. But, or that kind of interesting thing about that outhouse. Uh, when we finally got indoor plumbing, I guess I was about, I, I vaguely remember it. I was, I was between five and 10 years old, somewhere maybe around 10 again. And I remember when they put it in, uh, sitting there and talking to the plumber. But uh, when we got later on, when we used to, we did a lot of fishing. So when they got rid of the, got rid of the outhouse, they, they filled, the, uh, filled the, the hole with dirt. But when we used to go fishing, we, we would dig that, that, that outhouse was a great place to find worms. Oh. So, <laughs> so whenever we would go fishing, you'd go down where the old outhouse was and dig in the ground, and there'd be hundreds of worms squirming around. So yeah. Then you don't want to, then you think, oh, why am I going to eat those fish? <laughs> They're going to eat these worms. <laughs> outhouse. Uh, yeah. Uh, I grew up in a part of Cincinnati called Little Little Italy, and a lot of my neighbors were Italian. My best best buddy's name was Romelli. They were good people. They uh, they had a little small. <coughs> There's a big Catholic church down the road, but there also was a small one called San Antonio, uh, and it was a very small for for a Catholic church. It was very small, so all the Italians. Who lived in our neighborhood belonged to that little bit of church. So when they went to church, they went, they went to a lot of time, they spoke Italian. Uh, I remember they were notorious for having a fundraising fair in, in the summertime where you'd go and eat. And, they, and of course, they, they gambled like crazy. They had, they had card games and everything else. Back there, that was legal. Mm-hmm. So the Italians made a lot of money uh, in the card games, playing games with the people that came. Um, so did you have any pets growing up? Yeah, we, all, <clears throat> we always had a dog. Uh, the first dog we had, I don't remember. It was a German Shepherd, they tell me. I vaguely remember this dog. But uh, I was about five or six, I guess, when when they got, the dog got, they got rid of the dog for one reason or another. And uh, later on, I had a dog of my own. And uh, he was very well behaved, by the way. He was a troublemaker. Oh yeah, yeah. He got into a lot of trouble, but he was my buddy. So yeah, I, 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 you know, I, I, I sort of took care of him, but um, I, the agreement was that I was going to feed him and all that stuff and take care of him, <clears throat> which I did for a while. Of course, like every kid, after a while, the mother takes over. Yeah, <laughs> she, she ended up. And my grandmother and my cousin they took care of the dog. Uh, one of the things I remember about the uh, the house, it had a flat roof on it, 
relatively explanatory, slow to, slow to little, of course. And there's a great, great place to fly kites. So we go up on the rough when it was breezy and then fly a kite. Well, when you let the kite go, you're already 40 feet in the air. And uh, we could really get some good kite, kite. You could fly a kite up there when you couldn't get it off the ground down below. Mm -hmm. You get up on top of the rough with, with breezy enough to pick it up. Uh, there's stuff like that that I remember. Uh, I remember the Italians and their, they had grape arbors because the Italians loved their wine. So mm -hmm. in the summertime, my buddies and I, we would go up and we would just lay in the shade of a grape arbor and you could reach up and above your head would be bunches of grapes. So they didn't care how many you ate. You just had to lay out there in, in the sun or in the shade and eat grapes and they make their wine and they all get drunk. <laughs> and they and they play their like little accordion like I think called a concertina or something like that. And uh, they had a good time. They play and sing and dance, and uh, they were good people. Uh, of course, well, we were German, and uh, we would we live with all the Italians. Well, there was another German family in the neighborhood. Their name was Schneider. So the two of us were all all there, and the rest were all German. Petralio. Romelli, I can't remember all the names. There's a lot of them. Uh, the, uh, later on, <clears throat> when pizza became more popular, when I was a little young, pizza, <clears throat> pizza was one not, not used that. I didn't even know what a pizza was until I was probably 10 years old. Anyway, they got all in, got into the pizza business. So they always made a lot of pizza and I got to eat a lot of pizza growing up and, uh, Tomatoes were good. They always had. Uh, they used a lot, a lot of olive oil. Uh, I remember that. The uh, house where I grew up, and we lived. And I'll let you know from downtown Cincinnati, <clears throat> as the crow flies, it was no more than three or four miles. Mm -hmm. That's how close to downtown Cincinnati we lived. I remember when they put the sewer lines in, and they came along, and I used to sit there and watch some guys lay pipes in the street. And we thought we were something else and we we got finally got indoor plumbing. Uh, we had a cistern for a while where they take the water. Cisterns, you know, it's like a well, but the water comes on the roof of the house. Mm -hmm. So they had like a pipe that went off the roof of the house and you fill up your cistern when it would rain and it was full, you divert that pipe away so, so it didn't overflow the cistern. So we had good water all year round. During the summer, if you're in a drought, at the time of the drought, though, the water, that system got pretty low. And I can remember uh, my dad and my uncle cleaning it out one time. And <laughs> the thing was full of worms. So I'm thinking, I've been drinking this water all the time, and it's got worms in it. Yeah. I, I never drank one, but when we got down in the bottom of the, of the well, you could see it. <clears throat> uh, we raised chickens. Like I said, oh, we're down yeah. in Cincinnati. They, they called a coop, a chicken coop. We had about 30 or 40 chickens, I guess. And uh, my job was to feed them and to go get the, go get the eggs, uh, which was kind of an interesting process because you got it. And once a, once a hen laid an egg, she wanted to sit on it and hatch it. That's why they weren't laying her eggs. So I had to go get it. Reach under the chicken to get the egg from under the chicken. 
Well, they didn't like that. So they would peck your arm, try to keep you from getting the whole the egg. Uh, it was kind of nonsense, but and they really, when they went when they were protecting their egg, they could peck pretty hard. Uh, so, uh, so I grew up in very interesting. We had a we lived in a valley. On either side of there was a big hill. On each hill there was a railroad track, and uh, the one on our side of the hill was an old what they called narrow gauge railroad. It was it used to be a commuter train <clears throat> that ran from the west side of Cincinnati downtown. It was a commuter train, so they had they were running like like a train, like a wasn't a subway or an elevated car or so. They were running a train from down there to downtown Cincinnati. Well, this has been 70, 80 years ago uh, when I was growing up. Growing up, what did your parents do for work? And uh... <clears throat> uh, We grew up, <clears throat> my mother and my father worked for what they called the Methodist Publishing House. Yeah, there was a, a, a publishing plant in Cincinnati run, run and operated by the Methodist Church. And he was in charge of what they call the book binding department. Anywhere they would fold papers and make books. And he he was what they called the his title was a book binder. He made they made Sunday school books and I guess the Bibles at one time. Most mostly teaching books that they used in the in the, in the church. They would send them to the churches and use it for teaching the kids. Uh, my mother <laughs> later on. Uh, when I was a teenager, she went to work there too, but she worked in like a, I think it was like a mailroom operation where they would pack up a lot of these books and periodicals and send them, mail them around the country. So she, she worked doing that. My dad, I think my dad worked in that, in that book, it's called The Book Concern. God, he must've worked there 50 years. I don't think, I don't think he ever had another job. I mean, at least I, not that I could remember. Mm -hmm. He always worked at the same place. My aunt and uncle, my uncle who lived upstairs, <clears throat> he was a house painter. So he made his living by painting. And uh, he would paint houses and rooms. And we lived in a big frame house. So I remember maybe every four or five years, he, we would, he would take their own house. He let me help. Mm -hmm. I could get up on a scale and a scaffold. I remember, you know, envision this. The roof was relatively flat. They had these big logs, are about six inches square. You laid them across the roof. One of the ends stick over, and then you'd hook hook your hook your scaffold onto the end that was sticking over the edge of the roof, and you pull yourself up and down. Start at the start at the top. Pull yourself all the way up to the top. Start painting, and as you paint it down, you would lower the scaffold. So you were always painting. Low where you just painted, like you like you normally would do. You start the top and paint on down, and uh, we used to do that. And let me paint some, much to their discretion, to the <laughs> chagrin. I wasn't a very good painter either. No, <laughs> uh, uh, <clears throat> no, I probably wasn't seen right, you know. But it's kind of confusing. I still, in retrospect, I know I know now. There were some things going on that I don't see because I don't remember it. Mm -hmm. But uh, somehow I functioned and I made the adjustment. I don't know how. Uh, I got the nickname of FUD. I don't know 
if like, you know. Like Elmer Fudd? Yes. Of course, unfortunately, my name was Elmer. Yep. And I, I was a bumbling and stumbling Elmer. So I was a typical Elmer Fudd. Uh, and I got into a lot of fights about that. <laughs> I didn't like it. So, uh, but the Italian people were good people. <clears throat> when the church had their, their festivals, boy, the wine flowed like water. And uh, they would sit around and play the accordion and dance and sing. And it was like being back in old Italy. Uh, of course, we were, we were German, so we, we went to the, uh, the Germans. The church I went to, I was raised in, uh, my mother, my grandmother when I started that church, I guess. And in the early days of the church, all, all their sermons were in German because they were all German people. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, when, when the war came along, uh, they were forced to stop speaking German because we were, we were, we were in war with, with Germany in World War I, I guess it was. And so they had to give up their German services. And, uh, but I can still remember on the walls of the church, there were Bible inscriptions, and they were in German, not in English. They were built when the church was built. They, everything was on the wall was in German. Uh, so those are my memories. I grew up around train tracks. Uh, so did you? Could you speak German as a as a kid? I know you know. I never spoke a lot. Uh, <laughs> I can understand some of it. I can't speak it. But when I was in high school. Uh, I remember taking German the language. I go home and talk to my grandma. She said, Nich, nine, 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 nine. She just spoke a different dialect. She, could, she couldn't understand my German. Oh. So she would just say nine, nine, which means no. And, uh, but uh, so I had a lot of German history in my background. Uh, and that was. Uh, that that was tough for me during the, the wars because two world wars we always went, were in a war with germany mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, people around us were italian they were fighting each other in europe but i would say we got along pretty good i don't remember any any spin-offs where that was really a big problem mm -hmm. except that you kind of always knew they were italian and we were there's another family called schneiders they were german they lived in the neighborhood and gearing, I think gearing was, was an umlaut. You know what the umlaut is? I do not. That's a, that's a, you ever see the German with a, with a vowel like an O with two dots above it? Is that a letter? Oh, yeah, a vowel. Okay, yeah. A letter O, no, that tells you it's a, instead of being O, it's U. It tells you how to pronounce the O. Mm -hmm. uh, and they, they had the letter E, they were all vowels with two dots above it. It was U, not E. So that's what the umlaut it tells you how to pronounce that particular vowel. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so we raised chickens when I was a kid. I think I told you that. Yeah. What other, is there any other kind of like chores or odd things you had to do around your, your property <laughs> that be maybe a little weird to someone who, in, like me who lives in a kind of a different age? Well, uh, we raised a garden probably. 50% of the food we ate, especially in the wintertime, in the summertime, they would raise a lot, a lot of fruit, food, uh, and we can it, save it for the winter. 
-hmm. and we'll keep it in the basement where it was cooler. And uh, it's kind of some fun. Every once in a while at night, you'd be sleeping, you hear boom. And I say, well, my, my, uncle's, Art, my uncle's name was Art. There goes another one of Uncle Art's jars. Oh. And, uh, the, gas, the gas filled up so much in the jar. It would <laughs> it explode up. <laughs> What a mess. Yeah. It's not a crowd all over the place. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, I had a lot of a lot of fun memories. Uh made a coal furnace. Mm -hmm. I can remember when the coal company they would deliver coal, they'd dump a big pile of coal outside the the, the well, the window well that went down into the basement. I would they, they would send me down in my old dirty clothes. Old with coal clothes, they call them. And they would hand me down big lumps of coal. And I would take it to the other, other side of the of the, of the uh, coal bin. And so I start to fill up the coal bin. But you always filled it starting away from the, you know, where the entrance was. So when you start building up your coal, as you get it full more and more, you, you kept working your way toward the, toward the entrance of the coal bin, up, which is a hole in the ground up above your head, actually. Uh, when you got that thing full, that's how you got out of the damn place. You had to go over, had to be filled up out of the hole because you couldn't go back down because if you can visualize this, there was a, a door to the coal bin where you would reach in and get, get the coal for the furnace. But they had planks, so they would lay planks across, starting at the bottom. I, I guess they were like two by twelves. And every, they would lay down a plank and you'd fill up the coal bin till you got to the top of that plank, that, that, that piece of wood. And you put another another piece on top of it and you keep building it up till you got to the top of the door. Uh, so how deep was that hole, would you say, like total? How deep? Yeah. Uh, I guess about eight feet, something like that. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's so yeah especially stuff. if you're younger, if you, get, if you get stuck at the bottom, that's going to be a hard yeah. way to get out. Well, I used to go down there, and when I we put in coal, I my mother would take me out and strip all my. I'd be so covered with coal dust and stuff that she'd make me take all my clothes off before I came in the house. Uh, but it was a good life. I mean, uh, we had we had a lot, a lot, a lot of good Italian friends. When you when you make sauerkraut, you use cabbage, you know, and that's a ferment, mm -hmm. and. Uh, I don't know how to use a solvent. They call it a starter. You had it in a big vat. And as, as the thing fermented, uh, it would build up juice. So I would pick me up, put me, I, I was about eight, 10 years old. They would put white socks on my feet. And they pick me up and I walk around and stomp in the sauerkraut. Because by doing that, I put pressure on it. That squeezed the, the, the juice out of the sauerkraut. The juice would come up to the top, and then they, they would skim off the juice. Uh, so I, uh, I was in charge of stomping the sauerkraut so they could skim the juice off of it. Uh, a lot of goofy things like that. Yeah, I'm 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 not gonna lie. You make me feel pretty good about my chores. I'm, I'm glad I didn't have to move all all the coal or you know stop around the sauerkraut. Yes, yeah, so stop on sauerkraut. <laughs> so no, I never. Never thought anything of it, really. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm sure it was probably just normal mm -hmm. for you, right? And a pair, special white pair of socks mm -hmm. that they put on me when I stomped the crowd. 
So as a like while you were as a kid, did you move at all, or did you stay in that house basically throughout your entire? Your entire I only stayed there till I was about about fifteen or sixteen. Uh, my uh, my cousin and I, see a girl. We slept up in the attic together, and my grandmother was there too. So my grandmother, my cousin, and me. So as I got. My cousin and I got older, because to be close to teenagers or whatever, they decided we shouldn't sleep together anymore. <laughs> so my mom and dad then moved out of the house. My grandmother, it's kind of interesting. My grandmother and my aunt and uncle that's in the house too. So they sold the house to my, my aunt and uncle. But uh, when, when, when my mother and I moved, my father moved away from our house. My grandmother wanted to go with us. She did not want to stay in her, in the old house with her other daughter-in-law, Aunt Louise, whom I loved. But she had, she was kind of a, uh, so she was a little bit flighty, and she didn't fit in the family very well. So, when I, I was a great, great fond, fond fan of hers, and she of me, so we got along great. But there's a lot of friction between the families because of, uh, I, they were like they were very active in the church, I and uh, mm -hmm. which where I got most of my my mom and father hardly ever went to church. One for my my aunt Louise, I probably never would have gone to Sunday school. But uh, they took me to church, and my uncle was very active in the church. Church is still there. I I don't know if it's operating or not. I kind of like to go back and see it. It, uh, it sits on top of a hill. Cincinnati used to be called a city of seven hills, actually. There's a lot of hills and valleys. And uh, in, our, in the summertime, or in the wintertime, when there were no, no leaves on the tree, you could see across the valley to our church, which was sitting on the opposite hillside. You could see the, you could see the church. It's like it's sitting up in the sky. It was a kind of interesting place. But then when the trees got full of foliage, they, they, the leaves would block the view. So every fall you get to see the church again. Uh, it's evangelical, it's called an evangelical church. Mm -hmm. And the, the inscriptions on the wall, I think I told you were all in German, mm -hmm. started by a German congregation. Uh, and uh, they built this thing on top of a hill. And I can remember my grandmother was all upset because it, Start, start off down the valley at the foot of the hill. Of course, that was, that was pretty easy to get to. And especially back then, they had horse and buggies. So they, so they decided they wanted to be on top of the hill, so they had the view. So they put the church on top of the hill. Well, I mean, they really had to work hard to walk up. They were very steep, not too, not too long. But once you got up there, it was a heck of a view. You can actually see downtown Cincinnati on top of the hill, which is about five miles away, I guess. Uh, going back to your pet, your dog, do you have any, you said he was a troublemaker. Did he have any, do any, like, do you have any crazy stories or interesting things about <clears> him? <throat> he wasn't, very, wasn't a very friendly dog. No. He bit me many times, you know. He, he, I, like, if I, he got aggravated when I play with him and I get a little bit too rough. He, he, he didn't know how to play. He, he started to get very aggressive. And I don't know how many times he bit me, but we tolerated it. I learned, I learned what not to do. 
after a while. And then, and he, he passed away. And that's the dog I remember the most. So what did your family like to do for fun or what special occasions did uh, your family have that were unique? <clears throat> well, drink beer. I'm serious. Mm-hmm. We would go, it was great. We'd go to, like, go to each other's house. Uh, my aunt and uncle, my grandparents. Saturday night was a night to go visit. And uh, I'd go to one of their houses. They would drink beer and turn on the radio and dance. Uh, it was a quite a festive evening. I mean, my, my, my parents and my family, my two aunts and my two uncles and their family had a good old time on Saturday night, dancing and drinking beer. Uh, the saloon where we got the beer was about, about a block away from where, where the house was. So I can imagine they used to send me down like an eight or 10 year old with a gallon jug. And, and the bartender would sell me the beer. <laughs> I'd give me a buck, I'd give it to the bartender. He'd fill up the jug and I'd carry it up, up to the house where they would drink it until it was empty. Then they'd send me back down. Sometimes they got a half a jug, depending on how much they needed anymore. Uh, so is that uh, just like a gallon jug or how, how big was it? It, it? it was bigger than, it was more like two gallons, I think. Okay. Gallon and, it was a gallon and a half. Pretty good sized jug. I know it's hard to carry. A little hole you put your fingers through to hold it. And I'd have to stop sometimes. Uh, going home, my finger wouldn't take it. <clears throat> and my, my, a lot of the jokes got broken in the process. Maybe <laughs> beer every place. Uh, that wasn't any big problem. Let's get another jug. And by his name was Romelli. Uh-huh. And he owned the saloon. What were you kind of like as a kid growing up? Were you... A troublemaker? Were you a good student? Oh, what kind of what, what no. kind of category did you fall into? I was a, I was an angel. I'm an like, angel. Oh yeah, I was afraid to go. I get. I was a, you know there were four generations in the house, and I was the youngest one. So, if I stepped out of line, I had three other generations that yanked me back. <laughs> my, my cousin was a little older than me, so no, I. I was a well-behaved kid because, well, they were German. They're very strict. No messing around. Mm-hmm. You know, you did what you're supposed to do. And uh, I never got mis- I never felt mistreated, but I sure listened. I sure be- obeyed. And I never got out of line, or there would be hell to pay. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but it was still a good. I had a good life. I wouldn't. I wouldn't trade it for anything else. You know. What would have been like a punishment if you'd misbehaved? They just scold me, embarrass me. I don't know. I don't know. They'll never remember being hit. You know, spanked or struck. They would uh, holler at me, embarrass me that way. Uh, and make a, make, a, make a spectacle out of me, I guess you might say. You were talking about some, you know, things that you, you had in your house growing up and how you uh, went from having an outhouse and as you grew up, you guys got plumbing. Were there any other kind of amenities or inventions that you remember being like really cool to have or kind of blew your mind <clears throat> growing up that you got? Well, I had a sister when I was real young. You know what a cistern is? I do not. Okay. That's a hole in the ground. If you saw it, you'd think it was a well, you know, like a well in a hole in the ground. 
and uh, he had a pipe that went up to the roof of the house. So when it rained, you you take that drain pipe and direct the water into the into the cistern to hold. And when the cistern got full, you, you would divert the flow so it wouldn't overflow. So that's how you that's how you kept your water supply up. You used that that pipe. When it rained, you would divert enough water into the hole so you'd have water to use. And I'll never remember running out of water. Uh, we raised a lot of gardens. We had we had about an acre and a half of ground, I guess, where we raised water, raised uh, tomatoes and peppers and onions and things like that, mm -hmm. lettuce. And then my parents made a lot of, uh, <clears throat> canned a lot of that food, but I preserved it. So, so what did you kind of do? What growing up with your friends for fun? What would what would be some of your like those <clears throat> activities? And we played street baseball. We had a street that we lived in. When it got back far enough, there was hardly any traffic. So we played baseball. We played in the street. And, uh, you know, you're, you I'll play with the one end and second base at the other end and you first and third base off to the side. So when you hit the ball, well, you, you ran down the street, more or less. To the first step, and if you hit it far enough, while you're under, the, if you hit it far enough, it would roll, roll way down the street. Well, it rolled all the way down the street. Why you could walk around the bases before they would get to it. Uh, and we played a lot of baseball that way. Was, was that be, was that like your dream job growing up? Would be like to have been a professional baseball player. Like growing growing up, what was kind of like? <coughs> what did you aspire to be? Well, I was never very good. And in retrospect, I know I wasn't very good because I wasn't seeing mm -hmm. properly. Uh, like, we'd be playing ball in the afternoon. We'd get start to be twilight. It'd be around six, seven o'clock. We'd be playing ball. And all of a sudden, I couldn't see the ball anymore. It started out too dark. Well, how the other kids were still playing. No problem. They play for like another hour, maybe hour, half hour to an hour before I pour. They would have to stop playing, but I just stopped playing long before that mm -hmm. uh, because of, <clears throat> I guess you call it night blindness. Uh, but it was never diagnosed. You know. So is that like your maybe first kind of inkling that like, hey, this isn't something like this is something kind of different. Or you know, but n nobody else has, or any other things growing <clears> up <throat> that maybe were like your first sign that, like, hey, something ain't right. Well, I know it was different, and uh, I didn't like it because the kids would make fun of me. You know, I was different. Uh, you know, uh, I knew I wasn't blind because I could see them, and I could, I could see the ball you know, as it wasn't very close to me. But when it started to get close to me, it would disappear. Uh, the visual field was so small, mm -hmm. uh, but when you when you when you can see, I knew you know I, on the chart. I think I told you I got, on the eye chart. I twenty twenty was uh, perfect vision, mm -hmm. and then you saw the bottom line twenty feet away, and if your vision was twenty thirty, that meant that other other people could get thirty feet away from the same chart and see the, see it as well as you could at twenty feet. So 
my vision was 2030, which meant I, I had to be 20, 10 feet closer than most other people to see small. And these are small objects like, well, I, I had a lot of trouble in school. Oh, I had a lot of trouble in school. I was never diagnosed. So I always wanted to sit in the front of the, house, front of the room so I could see the chalkboard. Well, some teachers didn't like that. I thought, and some of the other kids didn't like that. They thought I was being favored. But if I sat back like in the second row or behind, I couldn't see the board. So they, I would prevail upon them, let me sit, you know, I'm surprised I got an education at all because I was treated like a fully sighted kid and I wasn't. Uh, yeah. In retrospect, that's, that's the way I was raised. But the, the positive side of that is that I learned a lot of way to adapt, you know, and a lot of, I had a lot of adaptation skills because I had to learn how to live with my visual loss. It, would, it, was, it wasn't compensated for it, it was, it was 20, 20, 20 degree. And I had, to, I had to handle it myself. So in some ways, when I got older, uh, I got involved with some other blind people and I was a lot more functional than they were uh, because I'd been, I'd been doing stuff that they weren't doing. Uh, it's kind of complicated, but you know, in retrospect, you know, I wouldn't change anything. Yeah. I still had a good time and uh, uh, did all right in school. I uh, made A's and B's, but I know, I know if I had better eyes, I would have made all A's because I was so darn slow. I remember take a test, I'd be the last one to finish. They would make me stop. Sometimes I wasn't done with it. So all the ones I, or I, I knew I was going to have, have trouble getting, I knew I was going to have trouble getting through the thing because I read so slow. And I'd go through the test and answer the questions I knew. And, and I'd go back try to find the ones I didn't answer and just jumping back and forth trying to finish the test. Mm -hmm. So uh, I guess it made me somewhat resourceful, but it was pretty difficult. Yeah, so obviously, you know, you knew you had some troubles with it. What did you try to kind of like fix that problem? Obviously, you could do some things like sit close to the board, but did you try glasses? Did you go to any doctors? Well, kind of what, <coughs> what was your... Glasses helped to a certain extent. The retinitis I had but the, the glasses would, would correct what they call astigmatism. That's when you look at something that's real fuzzy. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's like having binoculars, you know, you, you look through them and you got to adjust them to, to wind it in and out to get it to, to get it focused. That's the way glasses are. Uh, but they wouldn't help you if the, if the weather, if the weather was dark or if it was, when the lighting was low, glasses wouldn't help at all. In fact, in fact, they would be more of a deterrent because when you had glasses on, you reduce your visual field uh, because you, you know, you get, you're, you're seeing more stuff in a little same, same area of space. Uh, so you, you, it was a, sometimes it would made it harder to see, especially at night. So I was what they call night blind. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a cousin they, who has that actually. But you know, not, 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 see, I had, as a kid, I was never recognized. I never recognized them. I was just dumb. I was, I was clumsy. Uh, I could play. I mean, the day there, I could play basketball with the best of them. I was going to high school. We had outdoor courts. Hell, I used to play basketball with the, with the guys that were on the basketball team. I could beat them. I could play as well as they did. Sometimes better. 
and going to inside the gym. And the guy throwing me a ball at me, hit me square in the face. And that, that was a big deal. I couldn't see it inside. I, I didn't know what was wrong with me. Uh, it's very confusing. Everything. Yeah, I bet. I can't imagine. Like, I, I, that would be really frustrating. Well, it was. It was embarrassing and frustrating and sometimes very awkward. But I got by. I had a lot of friends. Uh, apparently, they called me Daddy Hawkeyes for a while. That was, a, that was a nickname I got. I knew I couldn't see with the crap, so they called me Hawkeyes. Uh, and they sort of handled it that way. But they always accepted me. And I can't say in retrospect, that anybody ever took advantage of me either. You know, they accommodated, always accommodated my visual problem. Uh, so I had a good time growing up as a kid. I loved the Italians. Mm -hmm. uh, I loved their festivals. <laughs> and all kind of wine. Yeah. I, I, know, you, I know you like your wine and you're, uh, you're quite a uh, connoisseur of, of wine and alcohol. Well, I was... Yeah, I know, I know what they call Dago Red. <laughs> That's what they called their wine. <laughs> Dago Red was a red wine made with grapes. Of course, they're all Italian. Yeah, they, they call Italian. I don't know where they got that. They call Italian a Dago. Did you know? You ever hear that expression, Dago? Dago Italian's yeah. a Dago. Why it is, I don't know. So their wine was called Dago Red. Uh, and, uh, you know, as a kid, Family, the uh, adults were around sipping wine. If you were a kid, if you want to sip a wine, you could have go ahead and have a sip. I don't ever, I no longer remember getting drunk as a kid, but but then there's never had that. Like I grew up with it. It was like drinking water, mm -hmm. drinking water. Of course, on my my side of the family was beer, and uh, <laughs> during prohibition, you know, there's a time when you couldn't make alcohol. Outlaw. Yeah, the prohibition, right? Yeah, and my my, my aunt, my dad, my my uncle would brew their own beer, mm -hmm. and they store it in the basement. During the night, you hear a pop. Well, what happened is another bottle of beer exploded because it filled up too much gas pressure for the bottle. And yeah. Oh, uh, well, you know, it's kind of a unique way. But I had a good time growing up. I don't, I don't have any regrets. It was, it was part of the times. It was part of the time. Yeah. So what activities did you kind of participate in or in school? Were you in any sports or clubs or anything like that? <clears throat> well, I tried to play baseball. <clears throat> as long as the lighting was right and, we, and everything was all right, I could play pretty well. Uh, I went to go... We went out, the, I think I might have told you that when we went to high school, we had basketball courts outside. Mm -hmm. And we play outside, and you know, I could play with anybody. Always involved in music from as long as I can remember. When I got started, I don't remember. All I know is I, my parents always encouraged it, put, promoted me, I guess. So I, I did a lot. Of, as a kid, I grew up singing in all kind of choirs. Uh, what instruments did you, did you learn how to play? What instruments did you? Well, I play the piano, uh, sort of. I can still sort of play. I'm not real good at it, but I, I got, I learned music on the piano, meaning I learned chords, 
uh, progress chord progressions and majors and minors, augmented chords, diminished chords. I learned that all on the piano. Mm -hmm. One thing about the piano, when you play the piano, you're playing all the, all the notes that are in the song. Like an orchestra, the violin's playing one line and the trumpet's playing something else and, and so forth and so on. You're only playing one note. But when you're doing a piano, you're playing them all with different fingers or hitting different keys. I mean, not, maybe not every key, but, but the piano, if you knew how to play the piano, you, you understood music because you, you, couldn't play the, you couldn't play the piano if you didn't understand music. Mm. You, didn't, you had to understand chords and now, now they were put together and they were built, the spacing between the keys and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, well, I always like music. And I can't say I was very, very good at the piano. But of course, then I got into singing and did a lot of singing as I was growing up. High school, I used to have shows and I was always in, what the heck do they call it? Plays or? Show, show tunes or something like that. Once a year. And then if kids would audition and they would do different acts, I would play drums and some musical stuff. And I always was involved with singing, sometimes solos, sometimes I was in like a quartet, sometimes I was in a small choir. Uh, so I got a lot of good singing in when I was growing up in high school, uh, which kind of was nice for me because it made me sort of special in some respects. I mean, I was having all this other trouble visually, so, but when it came to music, I was I was a top banana, <laughs> uh, and the kids always, you know, I never I had fun with kids. They called me Daddy Hawkeyes. I think I told you that. Yeah, that, that, was, that was the name I ended up. But it was like an endearing term. Mm -hmm. they, they, they didn't say it, they criticized me, but they just called me Daddy Hawkeyes. Because I knew I couldn't see where the hoot, and still I would function with them. And if they got a line, I would beat the heck out of them. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, were there any crazy pranks or anything like that you can remember at your school that uh, <clears throat> happened? <clears throat> pranks? Yeah, I can't think of any. Uh, well, no, broke a lot of broke several windows with the baseball. I remember that. We would, at lunchtime, you'd, you had like 45 minutes to eat your lunch and then you'd, you'd go outside and play as long as you want. Well, you'd run downstairs and gobble up your food, eat your lunch in about five minutes, and you run outside and start playing. And I remember a couple of times, one time especially, I, was, I got out real early and uh, I was tossing a ball with a buddy of mine and I one of my throws went, went over his head and went through the... <laughs> went through a window oh, no. across, across the floor inside and all the way down the steps in the inside inside the school in the basement uh, of course uh, it made a hell of a noise and I broke a glass everywhere but you know I was rubber I was reprimanded for it but I never I wouldn't say I was ever punished uh, they kind of let us do our thing mm -hmm. uh, 
that's about it. Did yeah, you, uh, yeah, in school, did you have any teachers that you remember had a really big impact on you, whether positively or negatively? No. I was always apprehensive on the teachers because I knew I couldn't see right. <clears throat> and some of them then wouldn't uh, accommodate me or it was more of a problem, you know. In fairness to them, I didn't look like I was having a problem, you know. You can't, you can't see and tell me what I'm not, you can't look at me and, and know what I'm not seeing. You know what I mean? Uh, so I get up out of the chair and walk right into the wall. Visual loss is kind of a funny thing. That, like I used to say, we had kids that had physical problems, you know, they had a, maybe a limp or a arm or some other thing. But you could, you could, when they function, you could see the problem. Uh, well, a person with a visual loss, they just do dumb things. They don't, they don't, you don't know what you're not seeing. The people that are looking at you don't know what you're not seeing. They don't know what's wrong with you. Uh, it's in, it's embarrassing to have a visual loss and grow up as a kid. Uh, I know the kids had physical problems. Uh, they were a lot more accepted than I was. Uh, the other, <clears throat> the other kids that had problems. Some of them were the kids that had a hearing loss. Uh, uh, you know, in fact, I think they had it worse than me, because uh, you don't know it. You ever sit there like a dummy, and everybody else could hear what was going on. And they didn't know, mm -hmm. and they appeared to be stupid. If I didn't know what's going on, everybody kind of understood it because they couldn't see it. They couldn't see the blackboard or the paper. But but a kid who was deaf or hard of hearing would miss out a lot on lecture. So. And, and I don't remember, going back then, I don't remember any accommodation for us as kids who had those problems. Now you have special classes and all that stuff, which I'm happy for. But I don't remember ever having anything like that. I was just put in regular, regular class. And the teacher might be saying, well, he can't see. Or he has trouble seeing. Here and there, I was really legally blind at times, I guess. Didn't know it. Uh, so... It was kind of confusing. Anyway. Did you work anywhere in high school? Uh, yeah, I worked. A friend of ours uh, was a big shot in the county. He was like a commissioner. And uh, during the summer, they would hire high school kids to go along the road, you know, along where the guardrails were and the stop signs and the street signs mm -hmm. where the weeds would grow up cover the sign or cover up the road or cover up the railing we sent us out and we had sickles and size and we had to cut down we had to cut down the tree all cut down all the growth so you could people could see the tool could see the sign or they could see the fence we kind of keep kept the edge of the roads clean uh, but that was quite a job bunch of bunch of high school guys we would mess around more when we would work that's the way our our poor foreman, he was always on our kids because we were, we would, he, he was older guy, so he would, he'd fall asleep at lunch. We'd all be real quiet so we didn't wake him up. He might sleep for two hours. Well, during those two hours, we were, we, were, we didn't have to work. We were just waiting for him to wake up. So he had to be real quiet and not to wake up. His name was Shep, Shepherd, I guess. And it required not to wake him up because once he got woke, 
he would be angry with us and he'd make us go to work and then he'd drive us to work, push us to work a little harder. But it was a good time. I mean, we, we had, it's funny because I remember <coughs> girls when we would be walking along the road, about eight or 10 young men, the God comes to houses where there'd be a bunch of, got to know the houses where all the girls hung out. And as we, as we get near the houses, they would holler at us and whistle, come on down you guys. Well, of course, the foreman won't let us come down. <laughs> but, but they would tease us like that. Well, uh, go to school, <clears> or <throat> I think I told you there were two railroad tracks. Mm -hmm. To get to school, I would walk. I would walk the railroad track to school. Uh, and there was one track that didn't, it used to run a train, but to keep, the, they, they stopped the train, but the, whoever had the franchise didn't want to give it up, but they had to run a vehicle on it in order to justify keeping it. So twice a day, a guy in a, they call it a hand car. And the a car, you stand up and pump it. Mm -hmm. He'd go from one, it was about five miles. He would go from one end of the track to the other every day, just to, so they could say they were using the trestle or using the track. Uh, and I spent a lot of time around train tracks. I spent a lot of time around trains. A lot of, uh, get up to walk along the train. And when those big engines had come by, I'm telling you, the closer they got, the bigger they got. And when they, when they got right in front of you, those things were huge. And uh, Did you ever yeah. try to hitch a ride on one, like as yeah. it was going by? Yeah. They had what they call box cars. They were cars that, with doors on them. And they didn't come by and they were empty. We'd jump on and ride in a box car. I had to ride, ride to school. The only problem is, you got to, they don't stop. And so you got to be very careful getting on, especially getting off. Because mm -hmm. the, the engineer decided he wanted to speed it up. It'd be going pretty fast. And you, you get to the point where you had to get off to go to school. Well, then you'd be moving at pretty good speed. So you kind of learn how to get off of a, a moving train without breaking your neck. I got lucky I didn't break anything, but you kind of, kind of run along with, alongside the train before you let go. If you can imagine that, try to keep up with it with your feet. These trestles, because they were old steam engines, they had barrels of water on, on the trestle, huge barrels of water. So if a train would accidentally drop in a red hot amber or some cinder that was really hot, it might burn the, burn the trestle, they would have to stop and they go to one of these big barrels of water and hit a, hit a pail or a bucket and then come back and throw it on that ember to put it out. <clears throat> but one thing about this, you're walking across, how many trestles are pretty long? And uh, especially if it's going downhill, I got remember lots of times, got, got out near the middle of the trestle and all of a sudden the train had come back behind me. I knew I couldn't outrun it. I had to get out of the way. So I would run to the, where these water barrels are. You hang on the side of the trestle and on the, on the platform where the water barrel was, you would stand there. But as, as, as the uh, engineers went by, they saw you standing there. And they waited to get right next to the upper, right next to the barrel and then they blow steam in your face. Big puff of steam would come out of the side of the engine. 
and those guys would laugh. But they never hurt us. No, we all, we had a lot of fun with them. Mm-hmm. Those good times. Never put like coins on the railroad track. Oh yeah, yeah, quite a few pennies that were big as half dollars. But you didn't want to do too much because money was too hard to come by. Yeah. Um, so, so what was like your uh, your wage for that job you were telling me about a, a little earlier, cutting the the grass with the sickles? What was like your? Uh, wage? I think I was like fifty cents an hour. Fifty cents an um, hour. Do you know what minimum wage is now today? No. It is a little over eleven dollars an hour. No. I don't think I had anything to do with minimum wage back then. I don't remember such a term. They just paid you. They just paid you what they thought they could get away with. Yeah. Really. Uh, and uh, the high school guys, you know, in fact, <clears throat> to get on that crew, um, you, had, you had to be able to pull some strings. A couple of our, my, one of my neighbor, church guys and as a neighbor, he was a big shot in the county. So when the jobs were open up, he would, he would always vouch for me and he would, he would always give me a county job cutting the weeds and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So unless you knew somebody and, and, and like administration or so higher up, you had a hell of a time getting a summer job. But I was lucky I knew my neighbor was a, was a, was well, well, well established in, in the hierarchy. So he always made, made sure that I got a summer job cutting weeds. But the downside of that was weed poisoning. I can remember every year I get poison ivy sometimes. Or there was a couple of friends of mine, they had weed poisoning so bad they couldn't work. I mean, their, their arms would be covered from, from their shoulders down to their wrists with bandages. Uh, from, they'd be seeping from skin poisoning from the weeds. Uh, but that's the way it was. I don't know what they do now. Probably they got something to put on them now, I guess. Or like yeah. a machine probably that just does it. Yeah, yeah. But we didn't know any different, you know. Uh, and 50 years from now, Somebody will be talking about what it was like, like it is like your age or now. Yeah, I mean, even in the short time I've been here, there's been like quite a few things that have changed in terms of how jobs are done. Like even stuff like the the garbage, right? Like it used to be for at least me growing up, I would wait for the the garbage man to come so I could see the truck when I was little, and he'd pick yeah. up the uh you know the garbage can put in the back, and now they have these like these arms that do it for them, where you just drive the truck up to the can and it picks it up and dumps it in the back of the truck and then sets it down. So it's crazy. I, you know, I can't imagine because just in the, you know, short little while I've been here, already so much has changed. The early garbage trucks were just a big open bed truck. And a guy would sit up, the guy rode in the truck. And, and uh, when they get the garbage cans, he would hand, they would hand the can up to him and he would dump it in the truck. So he was, he'd be walking around in garbage all day. Dumping down, filling up the truck. He had boots on, and uh, he they would throw a other can, and he would throw the empty can back. They got pretty good at it. They could throw those guys, those garbage cans, ten feet. The guy would reach out and grab it with one arm. Yeah, probably got pretty strong from that too. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. A lot of a lot of physical labor. That now would be done automatically, I guess. So it sounds like to me, you know, you've always you always had kind of like some vision problems when you were younger. But 
when did uh when did it kind of switch over from being those like issues we've already talked about to being completely black like to the point where you couldn't see anything how how long was that kind of transition and when did it take place you know i might sound strange but it's such a gradual change and and there are so many factors involved like lighting you know i could see one thing certain feet away and Next time I looked at that thing, I couldn't see it because the lighting was different. Uh, I don't know if I answer your question, but it was very confusing. All I knew, I was having trouble. And so whenever, whenever we changed classes uh, at the beginning of the school year, we got our schedule and we had switched teachers. I, I would hope and pray <clears throat> that I could get a seat and then when they see you alphabetically, like it started in the front row on the left, going back A, B, C, D, uh, with my name being F, I either ended up usually on the, the end of the first row, which, which was a disaster. I was way back far from the room, from the board. Or by the time they got the F, depending on whether kids are in the class, I mean, the F might be beginning the second row. Well, that was great for me because my name, uh, maybe F would be the first first seat in the second row, or I'd be right in front. Uh, then I tell the teacher I can't see what's going on. Uh, uh, and they didn't like that. Uh, teachers are not very tolerant. What do you mean you can't see? You'll be all right. Uh, or they make, a, make me sit up in front, right in front of the board, and everybody could see me, and that was embarrassing. But, you know, I'm making this sound like it was terrible. But it's just a challenge. Uh, but all the kids accepted me, so went on to college, got my degrees. Uh, I, when I was getting my, my degrees, I just kept going to school. I thought, hell, I can't get a job, I can't see very well. I'll just keep going to school. So when I ran out of degrees, I went to work. <laughs> so who kind of supported you through the process of going blind? Who was kind of there to help you, you figure it out? And uh, you know, how did you kind of um, cope with it? I can't think of anything. It sounds strange, but I was, I, you know, I was just expected to deal with it, which I did. I mean, I learned a lot of skills and adaptive techniques that I developed myself. You know, when I was growing up, my parents, they didn't allow for my vision. I, I wasn't given any support. They, they sent me to school. I was expected to go to school and I was expected to excel, which I managed to do, but but I wasn't given any, any concession, any help. There was a time I could say anything where I went through the whole year and never read a book. I would, I would get everything I learned from listening in, in lecture and making notes on my own. Uh, I, there were times when I had a book, I never read it. Because I couldn't read it, or I couldn't read it fast enough to be any, any good. So, but I, I learned what I needed to know in class. So, as a result, I was a good student, <laughs> but I wasn't an A student. <laughs> Some of the stuff I didn't know because it was in the book I couldn't read. Mm -hmm. But I would pick it up from the lecture and discussions in class, and I became a good listener. To this day, I'm a great listener. Ask your grandma. I listen to her all the time. She's laughing. Uh, 
So I got most of my stuff through listening. Uh, I did become a good listener. Uh, I guess uh, you mentioned that Pete Rose, you went to your, your high school. Did you have any interactions with him or any stories about him? No, he was, he was in a different grade. When I, was, when I went to high school, there was junior high and, and senior high. So there were six levels. So he, we were in there at the same time, but I'm a, when I was like a senior, he might have been a freshman or something like that. Yeah. And he was around, but I wasn't that close to him because it was quite a difference in our age. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I remember remember him in school, and he was always in trouble. I know that. He was a uh, troublemaker. But he used to go to the Reds games a lot. That was a, that was always fun. I had to walk about five miles to the ballpark which I did. And it's something called called not whole day when you're in high school or in school. They would give you something called a, a not hole with a, with a card with your name on it. It's called a not hole card. Mm -hmm. And on, a, on Saturday was not whole day. So if you had one of those cards, you always got in in the in the park free as long as you showed the card. You know why they call it a knothole card? Why? On the years ago, they had the big wooden fences around the baseball park, and the kids to uh, sneak up and peek on the game. They were wood fences. And they they were called knotholes on them from the wood. Oh. And you peek through the hole and to see the field. Some of them are pretty big, depending on where they're located. Why? It's called knothole. So you watch. You watch the game through a knot hole. So when you got a card, it's got a knot hole card. Mm -hmm. uh, kind of goofy, but that's the way it was. Uh, yeah, no, that, that makes sense. So uh, you went to college, you got your, what did you get your degree in? <laughs> well, I started off, I started off in music and that didn't go very well. Cause I didn't, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So a lot of my buddies were going, going to UC at the time and they're in, in business administration. So I forgot what my degree was in industrial something, industrial engineering, I guess. I would look at jobs and set up time standards of how long it would take to do a job. People were paid by piecework. I'd set up and to set up work where you had to assemble something. I would be set, set up the workplace so that it could be used most efficiently. It's called industrial engineering, which I like doing. It was pretty much fun. I worked for Kroger. Some of the, I got into packaging, packaging development. Some of the packages I worked on ended up in museums in, uh, in Washington. There was one called a uh, circus wagon. And uh, I designed it. But you know, Packaging was quite interesting because you had to, a package had to protect the product. It had to be the right size. It was too big. You could, you had, you had you know, what they call fill, fill requirements. You couldn't put a package on the shelf that was half full. Make it look like you're getting more than you got. You had to, I think it was like 80% had to be product or something like that. So I had to set up specifications for all that. And I uh, can't remember all the other stuff. Oh yeah, it was get the right material because some of the products had to be protected. You had polyethylene, you had 
cellophane, GSM, they're called cage films. Uh, depending on the nature of the candy or the product, you had to specify what products, what materials they use to protect the product. But you couldn't put it in a barrel because or something be ridiculous. That'd be had to be saleable too. It had to be able to be merchandise. It had to go up on a shelf. It'd be appealing enough so people would pick it up. Yeah, it had to protect the product. So you're always fiddling around between product protection and saleability to try and strike a balance between the two. Uh, so I was called an industrial engineer. I had to set up workstations and they these big come along people with different kind of candy. When I worked for Kroger, I worked in their candy department. I think they had about 300 different items. In fact, it was the second largest candy plant in the world outside of Brock. Brock candy was the biggest, but our Kroger plants were bigger, or just as big almost. And I designed packages so they could be hand filled or machine filled. I didn't know how the machine worked. I didn't know what kind of materials could be run on the machine. But the shooter on the machine also had to be able to protect the product, but it also had to be saleable. I mean, it can't make the product so bad that nobody will pick it up. It's quite an interesting job. Uh, I uh, I enjoyed it. Got a lot of candy to eat. Yeah, I was gonna say that's probably a good perk for working at a candy factory. Uh, when you work to work with candy, there's a candy plant. It also had and a nut roasting facility where they would be nut, uh, deep, deep frying nuts, cashews and almonds and all this stuff. And they come out on a cooling belt. You walk down the aisle and there'd be this cooling belt piled up with peanuts on it or cashews and almonds being cooled. And uh, they told us, now, if you come in here, eat all, eat all the stuff you want to eat, but don't take any out of the door. You got, if you got caught taking a kernel home, you were fired. But they didn't care how much you ate when you were in the plant. Well, they knew after a while you got tired of it, you know. <laughs> you know, you only eat the same candy all the time for yeah. a while. So, so you could eat all you wanted while you're in the store or in the plant, but don't take it outside the door. Well, I'm going to have to cut it short there for now. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed Don't forget to like the podcast and follow us on all our social media platforms so that you never miss another episode. Thank you so much for listening, and we can't wait to see you at the next podcast. Bye-bye.